Okay, well, here we are. We're recording, and this is Matthew Sims, and I'm speaking with uh, via Zoom with Tom Woodle uh, in his studio in Los Angeles, California on July 17th, 2020. And this is for the Smithsonian Institution Archives of American Arts Pandemic Project, where we've been reaching out to friends and talking to them essentially about you know, what the experience of working in the pandemic has been. So how are, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> Very well. I'm good. And uh, do you want to speak a little bit about um, uh, the exhibition at LA Louvre? I know that um, the exhibition um, uh, was up. I'm trying to look at um, the dates that it was up. It was up more or less right through uh, this period of pandemic from March 11th, I believe, through May the 2nd. And, and has that been extended? June, they extended it to June 20th, but now it's okay. closed. Okay. Yeah. And, well, uh, yes. Talk to me about, about that, that experience, how, how that <laughs> well, we we were able to have the opening and the very next day is when everything really closed i i was actually very pleasantly surprised i i thought we were going to be there all by ourselves that night because it was already clear that the uh you know uh shutdown was going was imminent mm -hmm. but many people did show up and were very supportive and uh, then that was that, you know. Uh, and then for the last couple of weeks of the exhibition, the gallery was able to invite people by appointment. People could call, make an appointment, and uh, they had a few visitors after that. However, I have to say that they did a they did everything they could to give the exhibition an online presence. And in many ways, I believe the show got a lot more viewership because of all their efforts nationally and even internationally than it would generally have been. And one of the highlights was that uh, some point, either the second week or third week of the exhibition, the online magazine of uh, the Royal Academy in London mm. featured this exhibition as one of the 10 best shows that was going on around the world at the time. So that was completely unexpected and very mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah. So, you know, the gallery really, they put together a beautiful, online presentation of the whole exhibition, the catalog, the essay for the catalog. So they did everything they could. And well, I watched some things. of the videos. Mm. Yeah, they, they were, uh, you know, you really had a sense. Obviously, uh, one wants to see the work in person, but you really did get a sense that you uh, could feel as best as possible, as though you, you were having the experience of moving through that space of Ellie Louver and seeing your, your, your work. Mm -hmm. The show was The Flower Bank World. Right. Is that sort of the general? Can you tell me a little bit about 
the origin of this of this broad kind of context or well the flower point? bank the flower bank world is um, taken from the Avatamsaka Sutra and as you might know the last decade or a little longer that has been the primary text that's preoccupied me uh, personally as well as artistically and uh, so you know uh, that's where the title for the show comes and most of the titles of the artworks are uh, appropriated from from the sutra and mm. I, I do want to emphasize that it's an English translation that is really brilliant and is the, the, the best one around by Thomas Cleary. And it's just astonishing to me that that in itself is such an accomplishment for someone to have taken this text and made it available right, for our generation for the first time in, mm. in the history of the world, really. So it's pretty great. And, and the work itself, could you talk a bit more about the, the specifics of some of the work? Um, I don't want to start to describe it because you were the, you were, you've made it. Uh, some of the key concerns in it, perhaps. Well, um, How, how shall I put it? You know, I, I used to say uh, that my intention was not to illustrate the sutra, but to some extent I am doing that. It, it's unavoidable and I'm, I'm not going to try to go to great lengths in, in denying that, you know, although my intention is not to be an illustrator, but okay. it's just turned out that way. That That seems to um I, I believe that's what I'm doing. Uh, the The sutra itself, a, there's a great deal of symbolic imagery. And it, you know, one of, it's called the Flower Ornament Sutra in translation, the Avatamsaka. And the ornament, so there's a lot of floral imagery and there's a lot of ornamental imagery, particularly with jewels but you know the visually it's very rich imagery but symbolically we're, we're not talking of the flowers represent teachings of various sorts practices of various sorts as well as do all of the ornamental kinds of you know fabulous descriptions so the the text itself is just something from the from the very first time I read it, the very when I got through reading the first paragraph, I just mm -hmm. knew it. I knew that this was something that I'd been looking for always, and and somehow I'd been preparing myself in order to meet the challenge. Mm -hmm. And the kinds of descriptions in the sutra are really evocative in the best way a literary source can attempt to do 
in describing every potential facet of all of creation. You know, I'm not mm. trying to say this to be affected or anything, but that's really what's going on there. So the, the, poten the, the potential is just vast. And one of the phrases in the sutra that comes up often is unbounded. You know, there's just no limit to, to it. Uh, I don't know if I've really answered your question, but that's sort of the the paintings themselves, the drawings are uh, my imagination is motivated by that. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I want to communicate visually is this unimaginable vast propagation and proliferation of endless activity that allows everything to manifest in the world like you and I and this conversation right the yeah. if, if you just stop and think for a second of the possibility one of the one of the themes that comes up frequently in the sutra is that you might be able to actually take an inventory of every single atom and every single you know subatomic energy event in the universe but you are never even going to come close even if you can do that to the unending vastness of these teachings mm -hmm. and you know visually um, one of the uh, strategies that I employ to try to communicate this the minutiae that are pr continually propagating proliferating and allowing all of this to manifest are these tiny little pips they're little clubs and mm. um, they, for me, the, the thing that is really effective about that little club image is that it's simultaneously figurative and emblematic. It's mm. a very flat emblematic image, but it's also figurative. And because of its structure, it's a really nice mm, visual metaphor for... Uh, molecules and atoms clustering together mm. that's loaves kind of loaves of that are kind of together mm. yes you can imagine them coming together in any number of configurations yeah. and i've seen these appearing on petals of flowers in some of your you know right. when one looks right. very closely i'm interested to know how this idea about this infinite uh kind of um diversity how does that then relate to the practice of attentiveness to detail? I guess well, that's a good question. Okay. You know, what I've said before is that the minute I began looking into the sutra, not only did I understand that it would be my artistic companion for life, but also my contemplative companion. So, like all Buddhist texts, 
The sutra is not meant as an instruction manual, but it is intended as a motivator mm. to meditate. Mm. There's never, there's, there's not one line in the sutra that is instructive in that way. It is primarily, in my opinion, a motivator mm. to meditation. And then anyone who meditates knows that the vast literature on meditation practice even the instructional literature, which is vast, is useless. It's of no consequence. It's not a substitute for sitting in meditation. Yeah. But the nature of meditative states that are described in the sutra are definitely a motivator. And ultimately, the primary motivator is that the, the kind of liberation that one is practicing is meaningless unless it's done with the intention of liberating everyone. Mm. It's, so it's not a narcissistic activity or a solipsistic activity. Mm at all in terms of its intention does that then uh, there's so many questions i keep there's so just... yeah and just let me finish because i think yeah. I, I just went on and on where mm -hmm. to to answer what, what you actually asked about attention is this that the word zen means only one thing it means attention zen does not mean what you it's usually misinterpreted as being somehow in some trance of some sort mm. it's just the opposite it means full attentive uh, perception of every single moment that's going on purely just attention mm. and I don't know, I can't speak for all, any other meditator in the world, but my experience has been this, that my practicing this attentive behavior on a daily basis has not only contributed, but facilitates my capacity to attend to the kind of detail that I want to, or, you know, actualize in the artwork that it's not a matter of patience because patience means tolerance right and attention is without tolerance it has no beginning it has no end it's just attention yeah. and therefore when one is uh, attentive there 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 aren't these kinds of limitations of that we might associate with patience or tolerance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To I and and this is this is all fascinating to me. Um, to what degree then is there any analogy between the kind of attentiveness associated with Zen 
and the process that you kind of uh, 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 engage in in the gen in the creation of your work. Is there any? Are there analogies? Or are these totally separate activities? Well, they're separate, and they're also not separate. Okay. You know, I'm sorry. I sure. wish there was. I wish there was a less um, problematic way of of answering the question. But it, it's both. Yes, uh, that's the best answer. It's both. Yeah, and. I, I, mm. you know, I can't put it any other way. Um, so, mm. I'm, I'm, ultimately, my, in the essay that I wrote, one of the concluding sentences towards the end of the essay is a very clear declaration on my part mm. that my intentions as an artist are exclusively aesthetic. Mm. And that says it all. And yeah. to me, the aesthetic is, is representative of the sacred. It, it can't be any other way. Mm. I'm not saying that the sacred doesn't have other ways of being actualized in life and in the world, but from my experience as an artist that's the only conclusion that i can come to that uh, one of the primary um actualizations of sacredness is in the aesthetic and this became really evident to me many many years ago when i went to japan for the first time you know the japanese and the in their classical period of their civilization, I would say <laughs> they were born to teach the world what aesthetics really are. Mm -hmm. it, you know, every person that travels to Japan, unless they're an absolutely pathetically insensitive individual, mm -hmm. comes back overwhelmed with especially after they've gone to Kyoto and to Nara and Kamakura and immerse themselves without even ever having heard of Zen, without knowing anything about Japanese culture, without having been able to understand the calligraphy, it doesn't matter. Just the immersion in that aesthetic environment is transformative and overwhelming. Yeah. So, and you know, that that's that's where i live as an artist uh, in not in japan necessarily but in in the aesthetic realm yeah i've been lucky to to have that experience of going to japan going to to nara and these places and just having studied them in textbooks and then seeing them in reality was a was a real revelation and um i when i oh, if, oh and just let yeah. me interrupt you for a second you know the great buddha in nara Mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that huge lotus, that that huge lotus yeah. that he's sitting on yeah. that each petal is actually ornamented engraved with texts from the avatamsaka sutra wonderful because that yeah. image that buddha itself is representative of the symbolically of the entire immensity 
of creation. And it's really interesting that out of all the Buddhist texts, that's the one that they chose to, you know, contribute to the actualization of the image. Yeah. Next time you're there, look for it. <laughs> I will. Uh, I, um, if, if you'll allow me I, to interpret your own part in this, I, I see sure. you as participating in this generative kind of um, infinity in the sense that the work that you create, the ways in which you come back to these things, always different, always new, always part, however, of a kind of um, a meditation, if you will, on some of these themes. Um, as I looked, certainly I've seen when I came to your studio, had the uh, opportunity to see the work in person. And then when I saw again through the images of the exhibition, I was astonished by the fact that, you know, no two work. Everything is a, is a starting from scratch in a way. Would you accept that as a? Yes, yes, because I'm, you know, again, it's a, it's a tricky position to be in because I'm not, I, I don't see myself as a proselytizer of Buddhism. Mm. I'm an artist, but as an artist, this is the thing that motivates me. This is where I, this is where I live. And, but as an artist, creativity is the most important <laughs> endeavor, the most important engagement and creativity does not necessarily, the emphasis for me with creativity is not on self-expression, but on discovery. Mm. So discovery mm. means that everything is, go is going to be fresh, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I would like to think, and this is a tricky thing for me to say, but I, still, uh, there's no way of, of saying it in, in a simple manner. Th what you're alluding to is something that I feel in my own small way, I'm contributing to the visual tradition of sacred imagery, particularly Buddhist sacred imagery, in that it's a new way of, of looking at things. You know, generally the Buddhist community is, I think, sadly, uh, parochial and very, very small-minded in terms of their visual demands. You know, to them, a contemporary interpretation of Buddhism is to have a silhouette of a Buddha with all of this stuff going on, but it has to be a Buddha, if you know what I mean. The, the, the Buddhist identity and representation of Buddhist themes have to somehow engage this orthodoxy of imagery, which, you know, is wonderful and beautiful and has a particular, has had a particular function, but we live in a very different world today. Yeah. The American Buddhism, the European Buddhism is still essentially the same Buddhism, but it's very, very different. And yeah. I, I'd like to think that I'm bringing something to this discourse 
that is a, a fresh interpretation of this material. Well, I think you've done an amazing, I mean, what can I say? An amazing job. That's, that, <laughs> that, that's, that's my personal perspective on it. And we only have a couple minutes left. I don't know if uh, uh, there's so many more things we could talk about, but if there were any things, thoughts that you would like to leave us on, things about what's next perhaps, or uh, other broader considerations. Well, well, what's next for me is that uh, one of the centerpieces of the exhibition is a piece that's in progress, right? Uh -huh. So, and it's likely, I'm, I'm not saying this to be melodramatic, really, but I don't know, you know, I'm 72 years old. I don't know if I will live long enough to be able to finish that piece. But that's definitely, even now while I'm, you know, in, in this period of confinement, uh, I've been basically working on that piece because one, one of the components is, uh, let's see, where's the camera, is these little uh, polyhedrons that are mm -hmm. made out of paper and painted. And, I, you know, there, there's just a whole bunch of them that I've, yeah. I've been doing, for instance, so that when, when I finally get that piece back from the studio, uh, from the gallery into the studio, I'm going to continue working on it. And that's, that's going to be my primary focus. I've also have a drawing that I started about over two years ago that I'm still working on. So that's, that's it in terms of what's coming. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we'll all look forward to seeing how those things take form. But um, I wanted to thank you for participating in this and uh, wish you my very best. Okay, I appreciate it, and I wish you my very best, and thank you. So, take care. Thank you. I'm okay. going to stop the recording now. Bye. Uh